Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can there be such a thing as a disembodied voice? Are there little people hunting in the New England woods? What are the Hexham Heads? Well, welcome to the 753rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio and our 10th year on the air. I'm not Ben. Uh, Ben is doing the producer thing. I'm Paul, and those varied questions came from our listeners. Uh, Today we bring you an open line show with a panel of our colleagues, and we welcome your calls today. It's 401-766-1240 from anywhere. Just send emails during this uh, or any other show or after the show, to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. With us today is our ever-popular co-host and increasingly well-known colleague, Shane Searway, along with Galileo Interviews co-host and UFO researcher, Charles Credo. A a well-known experiencer and one of our distinguished guest co-hosts, Steve LaPlume is with us as well, uh, remotely. Yes, sir. By phone, very good. Uh, Gentlemen, your websites, please. Chuck? Yes, uh, so I'm Chuck Credo. My website, uh, you can find us at www.seacoastsaucers.com, or you can like us on Facebook, the Galileo Interviews in Seacoast Saucers. Okay, Shane? And my website is truehost.com, and I also would like to say uh, hello to all the listeners, and a shout-out to a listener, Nick Albert, who reached out to me a few days ago and said that uh, he enjoyed when I come down here and, and uh, on Behind the Paranormal and, and on, on the show, so uh, shout-out to Nick. Very good. Nick, I believe one of our listeners from Quebec, I believe. Yes. Yes. And uh, Steve LaPlume, a uh, man of mystery, however, do you have any place people can find out about you, or do you want them to? <laughs> um, actually, I, I have no website. I'm a private citizen. But um, I am starting uh, something called the Roland Thompson Project, which will be up on uh, YouTube in about a month. Great. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll uh, have you talk about that in the show as well. Okay. Let's uh, <clears throat> jump right into our... Um, Communications. However, uh, there is something that came up this morning, and Steve kind of brought it up, and uh, Chuck checked it out. Steve, what was going on? In, was it Greenland? Yeah, yeah. I, I started seeing stuff on the Internet about a huge meteor, a huge object that landed in Greenland that is reported to have the, uh, the explosive power of, I think said, 2,000 tons of TNT, which is a pretty big explosion. And it landed near one of the... Um, one of the U.S. airports, they, they've got monitoring bases up there. But I guess the mystery was that the Air Force was in denial that it happened. There was no public statements at all about the fact that this happened and this thing landed with such a big explosion at the U.S. military installation. <laughs> Gives you confidence in your military. Chuck, you did some research on this on the way in. What, uh, what's what's cooking? So I wouldn't call it research as much as I just perused, you know, who was reporting on this. Sure. I did find Fox News reported on it, but when I looked at the bottom of their report, they basically copied and pasted another report from a news source that I didn't know. So I'm not going to say I necessarily can totally confirm it, but there's a lot of news sources saying that July 25th, about um, 20 kilometers from, as Steve just said, this uh, military base that actually is supposed to be looking for these uh, nuclear warheads that uh, this meteorite crashes and explodes. So there's a lot of reports out there about this, and I've never heard any mainstream news report on it. It wasn't on the news, and this was July 25th, so this is what? Seven, eight, nine days ago? Yeah, uh, I would check, so, and, uh, had I known about this, I would have, uh, sources of seismic information, because something that big is going to send out a lot of seismic waves and is going to be picked up 
by seismic stations probably around the, around the world. Fox News was reporting that the um, Air Force was being very silent on the issue, uh, but uh, one of the people that worked at this uh, administration, whichever, that monitors nuclear warheads in Greenland was saying something to the effect of, you know, this meteorite crashed about 20 kilometers away from them. <laughs> so there, it, there was a uh, tweet sent out by somebody. I'd have to look up the gentleman's name, but uh, after that, uh, you know, I'd have to really look into the seeing how credible the reports are before I put my stamp of approval. Absolutely, on. absolutely. Well, although, and if it is uh, what it appears to be, it's rather disconcerting because this is a monitoring station. It's <coughs> supposed to be watching incomings, and the thing, you know, they didn't see this coming. Yeah, well, Fox News reported from this other source, and it's, again, copy and paste job, so it's hard to know. Yeah. But um, essentially what they were saying is this could have launched us into a nuclear war with the Russians. Um, Very nice. So I'm really curious why we're not hearing more about it, especially with the seismic activity that it could generate, pun intended. Uh, it seems pretty serious. Well, you know, that, that reminds me of the time in 1984 when I was uh, deployed with the U.S. Coast Guard in the Caribbean, and we were doing anti-submarine warfare exercises with the British, with the Royal Navy, and uh, <coughs> we couldn't find the uh, HMS Otter, the submarine. And I'm standing on the bridge. All of a sudden, I'm look. The thing, the surface is right next to us. So, uh, again, you have to have confidence in your military, and that's not the way to do it. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Hopefully things have improved. Okay, so uh, why don't we begin with um, some of our questions from Facebook, because they're very short. Uh, Chuck, if you want to uh, read the first one, we um, that's, that's, a, that's an email. This that's is it right here? Yeah. Okay, I see here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is from Adrien. Uh, Adrian. Adrian. Adrian, right. I think. I'm yeah. sorry, it's Paul's handwriting. It's, it's exactly. really bad. So, so abandon uh, hope. She says, I have read four of your books, one of which I lent out. I am trying to recall if it was in one of your books, uh, maybe it was the one I lent out, that told the story of a man who was hunting in a wilderness area. He came upon two very small hunters across the creek from him. One was holding a small rabbit. I believe they carried a bow and arrow. Was this story a part of one of your books? If so, where was that location? What state, town, etc.? My friend who hikes has found various locations that seem to accommodate we people, and that's we, W-E-E. Um, we, we wanted, we wanted, or he wanted me to ask about anything uh, you may know or what book it is in. He is able to contact... Is he able to contact that observer? He does not exploit locations as he's a naturalist who likes to leave well enough alone, but is trying to gain a greater understanding of all the amazing structures, beings, and creatures he has seen. He has spent the greater part of his life in the woods. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Chuck. Uh, I think the issue here is, uh, the reason I included this was because uh, we could all address the issue of puckwudgies or little people. And we're not talking about the thing that you do with the underwear to, like your little brother when you're a kid, like giving him wedgies. This is a creature, right? Uh, yeah, pu puckwudgies. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll, we'll work on the spelling later, okay. Chuck. Sure, uh, sure. From the, uh, the Algonquian word puckwudgeej, which means little people. Okay. <clears throat> now, Adrian, uh, I don't, there's no uh, story in any of my books or Ben and my books that has to do with little hunters carrying a rabbit. However, I think uh, they might have been thinking of the story in Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, which came out in 2017. And it was a, um, a man from the area of Freetown, Massachusetts, well, Freetown or, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Bridgewater, Massachusetts, who was in the Bridgewater Triangle area, as it's known, Freetown State Forest, 
and he saw, or uh, and he wouldn't let me use his name in the book. It was just his dog's name, Bingo. So it's the Bingo case, so to speak. And he was just walking the dog in a wilderness area on a dirt road, and there was a little man standing at the edge of the woods, he said. And he said that he thought he was losing his mind, but the dog saw it too. And the, the, had a funny look on his face. This little guy dressed in like brown and was trying to get him to come into the woods with him. So the dog, I mean, nothing doing here on this. So uh, he thought retreat was a better part of valor in this one. And, uh, and now five years before this, in 2010, Ben and I had obtained some photographs, like not 100 feet from this very spot, at the head of the Copacut Reservoir. And we, very often people will take pictures. I'll say, you know, why did you take this picture of just a bunch of trees or whatever? And something will come out in the picture. And they'll, they'll very often say, because we felt like we were being watched. So I just started snapping pictures. That, that's exactly what we did uh, at the head of the Copacut Reservoir in 2010, in July. This is the one where you get the little creature the, the, in a tree, the, the right? Little thing, what, what, what could be something. And what jumped out at me, you know, as a former military intelligence photographer, was that these were flesh tones uh, on, on these faces. And that's very unusual in this latitude uh, in uh, woodland photography, unless you're dealing with certain kinds of fungi. What do you think these things are? If they're anything at all, Right. If they're anything at all, there are... I, I'll go back to folklore, okay? Folklore is the vessel of the memory of the human race. <clears throat> Excuse me. And something happened somewhere in the human experience that started the story. So at some point, there, mu- there must have been, or there might have been, some sort of little people, or what people thought were little people... Uh, perhaps supernatural beings, as our ancestors might have thought, uh, that started the stories. And no matter how much baggage it's picked up in the ensuing centuries, you've got uh, the, the root of a story. of uh, and, and it's present in just about every every culture around the world, little people. And, of course, the discovery of the, the so-called hobbit in the... Uh, in the, was it ben, ben? Was it Malaysia or Indonesia? Indonesia, in the, I think. Yeah, uh, of this uh, apparently extinct species of very small people... Uh, is interesting uh, as well. It's a possible source of that. Uh, here in Rhode Island, where everything is miniature, okay, so to speak, uh, there are little stone chambers out in... So little state, little people? Little that, state, little people, I yeah. gotcha. Okay. Well, Ben and I might look normal, but I was born in Connecticut, so... But anyway, out of the uh, Parker Woodland, which is owned by the Audubon Society out in Foster, Rhode Island, a lovely area, you have little stone chambers. Now, I'm not saying people lived in there, but I mean, everything, <laughs> there are little things around that would really have no use to people of our. That's a little stature. weird to me. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I see what you did there, Ben. That was really quite I got. A, I got a slight chuckle, so I'll, yes. I'll take it. Okay. That was a little funny. So, so huh. uh, don't get short with me. Steve or. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is this? The Ed Sullivan show? Steve, uh, wh- do you have any information on this, or have you looked into this at all? And then I'll go to Shane after that. No, no. I've actually, I've actually had no experience or no, no anything to do with little people. <laughs> okay. Well, being a, quite the tall man yourself, I can I can see that. Uh, Shane, my wife, my wife was short. If that matters. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I, I've never investigated uh, the puck wedgies or whatever or been in that area. I've, of course, I've, I've been wanting to get to that area. but just we'll take it. Yeah, just About 20 miles from here. Yeah, all right. Yeah. We, we definitely make a plan. Um, I'd love to go. But 
w- one thing interesting about that is that the, a lot of people that claim to have seen them uh, say that they try to lure them into the woods, and and also these things are, are seen in areas of water, and when we, we know like you know all our flap areas are surrounded by water, uh, and not coincidentally the all these missing person files around the United States um, and clusters of these national forests are all surrounded by water as well. So, um, and, and these people are going going missing under strange circumstances. I'm not saying there's puck wedgies all around the United States, but there's something that that um, the, the water's allowing to come through um, where all these strange uh, different things are happening around these different areas. Sure. And puck, puck wedgies is just another one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so you know me, I've never necessarily really been into this stuff. Like, I've always been more geared towards UFOs, but I hear stories from people all the time. Hmm. I've got two stories about little people, and both blew me away when somebody told me. First one is an acquaintance I've known for a few years who essentially in high school was living in New York. And he and two of his buddies were walking up a golf course in upstate New York somewhere. And they've got beers in their hand. They hadn't started drinking yet, but they were on their way to cut across this golf course to go to somebody's house and start drinking. All of a sudden, across from the golf course on the other side of the green comes this small little person, smaller than a midget even, and it walks right at them. And the three of them are walking side by side, and they walk up to it, and they look right down at this. And the person that I know said, look, it's a little person. And all of a sudden, his buddy on his left says, that's not a little person, that's a skunk. Now, he was looking right at it as I'm looking at you. Then he looks at his buddy who says it's a skunk, and then he turns back, and all of a sudden, what he saw was a little person is a skunk, and they run, and the skunk runs into the woods. Isn't that interesting? We hear that, too. What, what's the second story? The second story is a very close friend of mine. He was actually at my wedding. He's a good friend. lives up in Waterford, Maine. This is right near Harrison. Um, beautiful area if you ever go up there. Very beautiful place. It, I, yeah, I was up there last October. So uh, he actually uh, was raised very poor. And I'll give a shout-out to Shannon Callback if he's listening right now. But uh, he told me this story years ago. His dad used to hunt, and they didn't have much. Literally, he would hunt for food. His dad went out one day, and when he came back, he told him the story. He used to walk the same game trail every single day. And when he was walking down one day, he noticed in the middle of this trail was this huge tree that he had never seen before. And he thought, how odd. So he started circling the tree and looking at it. And as he did, he saw the outline of a face and a nose and mouth and, like, this weird stuff within the tree. And he just walked around it and said, boy, you know, I must be losing it. He went on, spent the day out hunting, came back, and the tree wasn't in the same spot. So, mind you, that doesn't necessarily say little person, but it goes along a theory that I've had, which is some. what if something was able to almost change the way that you perceive reality? Yeah. I wonder about that. Thought about that a lot, yeah. Up here, just not, not to get too far, and we'll get back to our emails in a minute, but um, we broadcast from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, <coughs> excuse me, northern Rhode Island, and Ben, ben pretty most of his life grew up here on th- this hill, in Fairmount Hill, which is largely open space land, uh, but it's about 38 because it's not huge. But we, after we moved in, we're walking up there with Ben uh, and your two cousins, and we came upon a field, a beautiful field of yellow flowers. Had to be at least three or four acres. Just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. With a path right through it. So we took the path. We, and we, we actually, we got lost. I mean, how do you get lost in 30 acres? 
and uh, the, the neighborhood dog. I know people that get lost in a basement. <clears throat> lost a post, you know, especially at my age. But the neighborhood dog <laughs> came with us, and we, he got us out. But in 22 years, I have never been able to find that field. It was right back of our house. I've never been able to find that field again. And it was absolutely, you remember that, don't you, Ben? Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was amazing. And I mean, you were what? It's like five or six, Five maybe. or six years old, yeah. We had just moved here. So, I mean, you tell me. But, but things come and go. And again, it's our, maybe, uh, we think our multiverse idea. You know, the mo- membranes swing back and forth, wash over each other, whatever. That's one possible explanation. So there we are. So, uh, little people, fields of flowers, who knows? Little people, big world. That's right. Trees with faces? <laughs> yeah, so with Skunks that, appearing? Yeah. So and that's the long and the short of it. <laughs> so, okay, so why don't we, there's, uh, there should be the uh, Facebook, uh, you see them right at the bottom there, the shorter ones. There you go. This okay. right here? Yes. Jane, why don't you take that one? So, Michael from Portland, Oregon. Why is purple the color of interdimensional manifestations? Uh, actually, that that kind of threw me a little. Purple, the color of. Inter- I just wanted to throw that out in case anybody had an idea. Is it? Since everybody's wearing blue shirts, is that definitive? Or? Oh, I know what he's talking about. What's he Go talking for it, about? Ben. Ben? Help us out. <laughs> well, you see, um, when I was uh, working with um, our Aztec shaman buddy back in back in the day. Uh, he sort of said that you know colors are are, spe- are you know very uh, important, right? So colors mean a lot of things in a lot of different cultures, and for some reason, purple is like a color of royalty, always has been. Yeah. So if you look back at like ancient artworks, especially of like you know saints and stuff like that, or even of like gods, some of them are depicted wearing purple, um, or like you know variations of red and blue, uh, maybe like darker reds. Yeah. What do you- oh, I'm just wondering. I mean, your dad studied to be a priest. What does purple mean in, in the religious context? Well, it's... Don't they wear it in certain things. robes or something? They yeah. do. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you, well, but, in, right? Oh, that's fine. In the Roman Catholic and pretty much the Orthodox traditions, uh, in during Lent, you wear purple. So it's it's a, a color of penitence, you know, and, and renewal and taking a journey to a better place. Didn't David Ike go through a period of like a year or something where he wore nothing but purple? Probably. I don't know. I mean, he's David Ike, so. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody look into this. I remember hearing in an interview that he just went on a purple fit. And he thought it was a like a special color or yeah. something like that. Well, I mean, you know, any any sort of ex- experience I've had, for some reason, the color purple was always a thing. Now, I think it's got something to do with like a collective consciousness sort of thing, like you know Carl Jung's idea of archetypes. That there's just these things that sort of hang around in human consciousness that sort of manifest, right? So, um, for example, uh, you know, you have you have I guess back to Christian metaphors, you have the cross, right? So that's like a like al- always been sort of an archetype for like humans at least for the last you know two millennia and even before that it was like you know used by the Romans as a as a torture device but you would see like you know symbols of the cross used in other different religions you know kind of like um um you know the like the swastika was initially a symbol used by Buddhism still kind of is but except the instead of going clockwise i believe it goes counterclockwise so i mean you know these symbols have been hanging around in like you know the human experience like forever like um in a, a little little fun fact between every single culture in the world they all share the same three fears a fear of heights a fear of snakes and a fear of spiders doesn't matter what culture it is all cultures share the same three fears 
Do you think they can get past them generations? You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking DNA like level stuff. Kind of, yeah, I think so. Well, let me give you an example. I have a dog. Most of you have met him. Oh, Prescott, okay? yes. You've got a dog, yep. right? Yep. There's certain things that breeds inherently do. I can tell you a couple right off the bat. How about rolling in a dead animal? I don't know a dog that doesn't encounter a dead animal and wants to roll in it. Like, really? All of a sudden. Mm. Being a cat, man. You ever I'm seen shocked. that? No. I was just talking with a lady today. Her dog was rolling in a dead animal on our walk today. And I said, my dog does it too. Mm. And he has, your dog has a law degree. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, another one is I have one breed, and that breed's only been around since 1880s, right? Yeah. But that breed immediately takes to water, right? English Springer Spaniels immediately take to water. They, they hunt fowl. They go after them. Right. How is it a breed inherently knows these things, that specific breed? You know, they're bred for things. Yeah. Steve, let's get you in here. Uh, yeah. Have yeah, you ever, any thoughts on purple? Ever had a purple period or whatever? Dog, well, purple dog? Well, when you were talking inherent with breeds and dogs, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but when you have your dog and he goes out and he circles around before he goes to the bathroom, um, all dogs face either north or south when they go to the bathroom. They never shave east or west. I didn't know that. So, yeah, yeah, kind of an interesting factoid. <laughs> well, getting—I suppose—getting back to people, maybe I have some thoughts on this as well. Uh, the the, the mm-hmm. love of gold. Why is it that? Maybe yeah, it's pretty, but, but you know, the whole world economy used to be based on gold, and in some degree still is. The uh, is that in our DNA? Because uh, people like Zachariah Sitchin and others have suggested that. Ancient visitors from somewhere or somewhere, aliens or not, um, among the things they may have done to our early race or with our early race was to have us mine gold for them and perhaps uh, messed with our DNA. And I'm, obviously I'm really reaching here, but I mean, uh, is, is that present in our DNA as well? I mean, I, I have no desire to roll in anything, but I mean, as far as gold is concerned, I like it just as much as anybody else. This is, this is Steve. Um, you know what? I really subscribe to that train of thought. Because I mean, why else would we just find it so glittery and beautiful and everybody wants to find it? I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah. I have two things on the purple. Okay, uh, Shane? Yeah, so getting back to the purple, to the question, um, I have two things that kind of popped up when, when we read this question out loud um, was that uh, they did a, a study on the effects of colors on, on human beings and the one that had the most comforting and positive effect on, on people's brains, they hooked them up to, to you know probes and all that and um, was the color purple or more more closely was lavender or lilac color but still a shade of purple um, had a much more profound effect on the human brain hmm. in a positive manner um, the other thing I have to say about this is um, someone was talking about royalty and all that other stuff but it, it, it going back to my childhood and, and having which I never really talk about but having visitations of these alien things in my room I always talked about the, the taller one that's in the back of the room that seems to be the boss much taller looks the same but taller wearing a purple robe always a purple robe so it, it it's I don't think that's a coincidence I think it ties into you since know. you brought it up the first time you told me about an alien a tall one in the back do you remember the question I asked you right <laughs> what did I ask you was it green or purple the robe right right so why do you think I asked you those two colors well I know you interview a lot of uh, abductees and everything right so. purple robes have been outlined in a number of different people who are abductees Mm-hmm. They can pick any color in the world. They pick purple for some reason. Let's just say they're all, like some people believe, they're all crazy, which I don't believe at all. 
How and why would they all pick the same color unless they've heard everybody's story? Now, you haven't heard any of these stories. No. I never so, heard of anyone saying that there was one that was a boss light that had a purple robe until I finally, you know, wanted to. I've been doing this a long time, been experiencing um, not just the paranormal, but I've been dealing with, the, you know, investigating the UFO stuff um, my whole life as well. But um, and I never, I just never talked about my experience, my personal experience until, uh, we, we, you know, um, I reached out to Kathleen Martin and Denise Stone and, and shared some of my experience. And Kathleen's like, we've heard this before, this purple robe. And. And, um, and I never heard of that. I never heard of anyone discussing it. So I thought if I say this out loud, they're going to think I'm crazy. Why, why is this alien wearing a robe? Right. But, uh, but sure enough, I mean, that's my experience. All right, there we are. Well, we are almost up to our break, but let's uh, pose our next question, unless someone else has any thoughts on The Color Purple, which I think was a movie one. Uh, why don't we move on? <laughs> yeah. Why don't we go Oprah, to our next, uh, Oprah Winfrey, yeah. It was Danny Glover, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, too. whoever. Not uh, a nice guy in that. I was thinking of Prince, Purple Rain. Question from Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question from Joe. Um, I know Ben is a fan, but what are your thoughts on Mothman? Yeah, he rhymes there. Huh? That, was, that was a pretty good rhyme, man. <laughs> yeah. Is that true, Ben? You're a big fan of his? Do you have, like, his trading card? Yeah, I don't, actually. Yeah. I've always wanted but the autograph. You know, I've got, got some... I, I don't have anything signed by him. Well, but seriously, Just can't folks, seem to find um, him. Ben, you want? Well, I guess I, maybe I'll start with that. Uh, I suppose you might call me a fan of Mothman in a sense, uh, very interested in the phenomenon. Uh, if you look at our 2017 book, we've already mentioned there's an entire chapter on Mothman, and what we did was tie into interviews we've done on this show with people who uh, experienced Mothman, both in a positive and negative way, most mostly negative. In '03, we were down in West Virginia at Point Pleasant, and. Uh, Ben was uh, with me, and as uh, a matter of fact, uh, your mom uh, uncharacteristically accompanied us. <laughs> I was speaking at the West Virginia Paranormal Conference with Bud Hopkins and a few other people, and uh, some of the witnesses uh, we were able to dis- to talk to, uh, not to sound like Yoda, we were able to talk to some of the witnesses, uh, some of whom were, most of whom were children at the time of the 1966-1967 Mothman incidents, uh, the main ones. And we got all kinds of strange stories about this. Uh, I think that we're dealing with something real. Uh, from the descriptions and the uh, experiences uh, that occurred, I think we're dealing with more than one individual. If this is just a creature, we're looking at a population. You need at least, as with Bigfoot, a, a population of at least 500 within a certain area. And something like this, particularly with wings, is not going to remain hidden. So we think a multiversal creature, and uh, we have to take our break at this point, so I'll interrupt myself for once. And uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our very interesting panel today. And we'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Prozens, and I'm host of It's Your Business, Mondays at 2 p.m. We'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community, but you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on ON Radio. Uh, okay, we are back on Behind the Paranormal here today. We have uh, Ben, of course, who's uh, a gallant uh, producer, and we have our very interesting panel today, Steve LaPlume. Charles Credo, and the ever-popular Shane Searway. And we're reading various uh, emails here from uh, listeners, questions, things of this kind. And we've been um, talking about Mothman. We've talked about Mothman a lot on the show. Uh, I think it's legit. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's multiversal, but very interesting nonetheless, uh, particularly when people have positive Mothman experiences and become uh, 
very good artists and mathematicians after the encounter. Uh, let's move on to, to Shane. What do you think? Um, I personally, I haven't investigated the Mothman, but I do have a cool story. Um, and But I know a lot of people, colleagues and stuff, they have. And, and just based on what I'm hearing, I definitely believe it, it's a possibility. I don't lock down and say I believe that something's for real unless uh, unless I can, you know, prove that it is. So I, tr- But I stay open-minded. But it definitely seems like a credible, credible thing. And I've seen, you know, equally um, crazy things in my life. So I, I definitely believe. But um, back when I was about 18 years old, before I even heard about the Mothman, I was working in a, in a heating oil office, and, and I would keep the office open on the, on the weekends by myself, and I would work the front desk. And this lady came in, this older lady. I don't even know where she came from. She just appeared at my, the front door, walked in. I got her a seat because she looked fatigued and, and uh, offered her a sandwich that I had. I had an extra sandwich and some water. And she sat down and she started talking to me about her experiences. Um, she used to just be like a, a wanderer. She'd wander around. And she in the areas of Pennsylvania, she said, um, she said New Jersey, she said Virginia, Ohio. She, she, in, that was her area that she kind of like moved from, from place to place. But there was a field in one of those, I think it was West Virginia that she said, where they um, they used to go because it was open enough to where they could watch the sky because all, all these homeless people, these gypsies or whatever, um, that would just, they would group together to stay safe because back then she said there was what they called, uh, um, she called it, or told me they called it the flying devil fox. It had large wings, big red eyes, and it would fly over them. So if huh. they, they would congregate in this open field in the middle of the woods because it allowed them to see far enough to, to where they would have fair enough warning of this thing coming at them. So, and they also felt more protected if they were close by. This lady was incredibly intelligent. Um, I just, I found her so interesting. And it, this is long before that Mothman movie. And I, I had, even though I was into this stuff way back when, I just, I hadn't really heard of the Mothman story at all. Um, she was my first introduction to something like it. And she, she was very believable. Um, and it just, it just blew my mind. Wow. Chuck? Thoughts on Mothman? Jeez, I really don't have any thoughts except that I find it all interesting that a lot of people don't realize the UFO connection with Mothman, um, how many UFO sightings and the whole injured coal thing. And, sure. I mean, that itself is fascinating. Uh, a few documentaries will talk about it, not a lot. Um, it was more than just, you know, a lot of people think, ah, oh, some people saw this moth-looking creature. Well, I don't know. It's debatable whether it looked like a moth. That's right. Definitely had the red eyes. Mm. Yeah. You know, so one person's flying devil fox could be another person's moth. Right. And a lot yeah. of people say it looks more like an owl, too, some people say. Well, there's also a thought that because of the the apparently um, self-luminous eyes, it was an artificial creature. Mm-hmm. That's another thought. Steve, uh, what say you on Mothman? Well, um, actually, I, I'm not I'm not going to speak to the but um, just looking into it, 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 it Okay. All right, good. Uh, just before we move on to another subject, we have a something here that dovetails with the Mothman question. Uh, now, um, I happened to be listening to uh, our friend Lon Strick- Strickler's radio show on Friday evening, and Lon has a tremendous database of reports, uh, particularly of, uh, of uh, strange creatures, things of this kind, and phantomsandmonsters.com is the website. Check it out. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, Lon uh, was talking about the, uh, a recent sighting a report from our area right here, uh, south of Boston, 
where someone had seen a flying humanoid. And you could describe Mothman in some of the accounts as a flying humanoid. Um, this is the, the, the actual quote. Uh, the following account was posted uh, today. And they, uh, well, I won't give the name of the, uh, the person here. But uh, I live 25 minutes south of Boston. About six months ago, I saw this insane thing. It was about 3 a.m. I had been up late, as I normally am. I stepped outside to smoke a cigarette. It was dark, as, uh, except for the stars and the moon. As I was smoking, I heard this noise uh, of something flying. I look up and see this winged creature land on my neighbor's roof and just sit there like a gargoyle would. I thought I was seeing um, doo-doo, I'll put it that way, uh, or seeing something wrong, but then the creature jumped up and flew away, and I could see its whole body. It was the size of a small human, but massive wings. It reminded me of a gargoyle. I don't know uh, what it, I, I saw, but it was crazy. Has anyone ever had an experience something like that, the person asks. And uh, uh, Lon assures us he's following up on this, and we'll find out more. Now, where is that again? South of Boston. South of Boston. I'm not sure what town. About 20, 25 minutes south of Boston, that would be, I suppose, um, could be, I don't know, could be, for, uh, maybe not as far south as Franklin, right in our listening, but it's, it's in our listening area here, certainly. No idea what town that would be. So, or only the South Shore. Yeah. Did he say when that happened? Uh, that, this is quite recent, I guess, but uh, we didn't know exactly the exact date. Why do you uh, you know something? No, you I'm just do, I'm uh, always fascinated with um, reports of, of things like that. I know that in Mexico there was a, there was a report oh, years right. ago back in uh, early 2010 area where um, allegedly this cop was on patrol. He was just kind of sitting in his car, and all of a sudden this thing just latched onto his car and started flying. Yeah, we have a listener who knew the who knew the cop. Really? And, yeah, we have a, a large a listenership in Monterey where a lot of these things took place. I don't know if they listened to the show because of these Bruja incidents, witch incidents, as they, as they think. But uh, we get information a lot on that. Uh, I also should mention before we leave the subject that uh, Mothman or something that, that people pin the label Mothman on has been seen around Chicago in the past several years. As a matter of fact, we, we just... Uh, the, some of the first incidents were early enough that we could get it into our 2017 book uh, Behind the Paranormal 2. So... That's going on there as well, and uh, Chicago was not Point Pleasant. It's a very large city, obviously, huge metropolitan area, and people have seen it over water. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's one report of a man in the sun at a marina. Uh, they saw two circling at the same time, huge bat-like creatures. All right? And the Mothman, as, as Chuck pointed out, the Mothman uh, image that we have is moth-like, but uh, actually the statue in Point Pleasant is uh, really the most accurate, I'm told, uh, from witness accounts of an actual rather muscular man with huge bat-like wings. Okay, uh, the reason the the name Mothman was chosen was because uh, the media at the time wanted to call it Batman, but the Batman comedy series was just starting on TV and they didn't want a giant lawsuit, <laughs> so they ended up uh, calling it Mothman instead, and that's how that began. So, but wow. it didn't necessarily look like a moth. So there we are. All right, so let's uh, move on there to... Uh, Can I just say something? I'm yeah, curious. Well, Next time you get somebody that does quantum physics or can start talking about the membranes, as we put it, right, of alternate realities and worlds, can you ask about how these realities might collapse? Because to me, even though we've talked about it in the show many times, I want to know... I have a hard time buying into these things that exist around us and we don't see them every day. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. 
We you know, people often have a hard time with that. That's why they argue Bigfoot's not real. These things couldn't happen. Yeah. We're all crazy. But there's got to be something science is going to show us later that helps explain why some of these people really are not crazy. You want to... You ever seen Big... Not Bigfoot. You ever seen Beetlejuice? Oh, yeah. So, you know, they get the big book of the dead and they're reading through it, you know. The living see what they want to see, right? Yeah. Like, you could show somebody a dead body of a Bigfoot or an alien or something and they'll say, ah, nah, it's fake. You know, people have <laughs> yeah. these preconceived notions in their minds. doesn't matter who they are. You know, this goes for every one of us, too, that we see what we want to see. You know, whether we're talking we... about agreed-upon reality stuff. Yes. Group reality creates reality. Group belief strong enough creates reality. And people can share in that reality. Is that what you're talking about? Because it's been a long-term theory of mine that kind of... I think it's right. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, go back in time. Look at some of the old mythologies from, like, our farthest ancestors. This stuff was really real to them. They believed that the gods were walking among them. And if they all believe it, what happens? Yeah, it's, and the shamans I've spoken with over the years, this is this is this is reality. This is their, their creation. This is their life. They live this day to day. Multiversal awareness, as Ben and I would say. We need to get Dr. Fred Allen Wolf back on the show. Because uh, he pretty much agrees with us, and then he, he explains it pretty well. So we'll we'll work on that. I would be fascinated yeah. to be a part uh, of that. Steve, uh, before we leave this subject, any thoughts? No, no, I just be fascinated to listen in on that. Okay, um, could you speak more clearly into the phone? I know you're uh, you're in, uh, up in the the wilderness. I couldn't be with us today. But okay, great. All right, uh, what's our next uh, Facebook question? See, there's this. Uh, no. Yeah, Chuck, if you want to read it. Okay, I try to hand it off. Um, <laughs> so, Nick from Montreal, Quebec, have you ever heard of Hexam Heads? I'm sure you have. W- would be interesting to get your take on it. What's a Hexam Head? Is that like um, the screwdrivers that are hexa- hexagonal? Uh, you used no. to no. It? no the Hexman? Hexbit. I've never heard of it. You two behave yourselves. Okay. The Hexam Heads, uh, <laughs> named after Hexam, England. Uh, they were found, I believe it was 1971, by a couple of boys who were in their garden. And they were, I believe there were two of them, and they look, um, I got a picture of them here if you want to pass it around the panel. They were, they've been interpreted as sort of alien-looking heads a little bit. Uh, they look very Celtic to me. But supposedly in, people had them in their houses, and weird stuff would happen in the houses and they attributed it to the presence of these heads, uh, you know, poltergeist kind of stuff in some cases. And uh, that's uh, where they are today, I don't know, but uh, that was pretty much the story. It's, it doesn't go way back, not, well, at least to me, it doesn't go way back. 1971, that's the year I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's, uh, that's what the Hexham heads are about. So uh, It just looks like like little, like, you know, home magic or something. Yeah, they're like, not very big. No. Well, well, one of the things that crossed our mind about that was in Roman times, and of course the, Rome, the Roman Empire ruled much of what's now southern Britain uh, in the uh, first the, the first uh, Century. centuries of yeah. uh, this uh, the previous millennium. You know, time mixed up here. They have, uh, and they would have ro- the little house gods uh, each family would have, each household would have like its own gods, maybe ancestors or whatever, and they'd have little statues of them, and they would uh, almost like chess pieces, and they would have little shrines in their houses, and they'd probably be, be about the size of these heads, the, the whole figures. So I'd be curious to see whether any figures have subsequently been found that would go with these heads, or whether they're Roman household gods, hmm. perhaps. 
But I mean, the one in the middle looks like he was an MMA fighter because his nose is all busted up and, and cockeyed. So, well, if you were uh, like several thousand years old, you probably wouldn't look that good. <laughs> yeah, he probably looks good considering his age. Well, right? probably, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, uh, Steve. Any thoughts on this at all? Um, no, I've, I've that, that's even, about the story on the Hexam heads. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, okay. So there we are. Well, that's uh, probably about the best we can do for you, Nick. Well, I've got a little little fun story to go along sure. with that. That'll that sort of coincides. So my wife has um has a has a friend who's who's got a very odd family and they they live in this this little um like old farmhouse like way out in uh well not way out, it's not very far away, but over over in southern Massachusetts. So they're probably listening. So don't be careful we call, to call them weird. No, they're not listening. But <laughs> okay. you know, they're 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 an interesting family. We'll put it that way. All right. Very nice people. They just are a little odd. So they uh, so one day they were doing renovations on the house because you know they it's one of these old New England farmhouses where you know you can't renovate up, so you renovate out. So there's just like addition after addition after addition after addition. So one of the times they were doing you know adding on another addition. They ripped open the wall, and they found, between a couple of the studs, a little shoe, like a baby shoe, that was just, it was just in the wall. They, they were like, well, this is, this is weird, what is this? So they moved the shoe out, and almost instantly, one of the members of their family got into a car accident. So they, they were then were like, alright, we gotta, we gotta put the shoe in, in a place, leave it somewhere in the wall. So they, they put like a little, um. There wasn't a foot still in the shoe, was no, it? No, no, no. Because that would make it weirder. Oh no, there was no foot okay. in the shoe. But anytime they touch the shoe, something terrible happens. Like, for some reason, you know, we, we were affectionately referred to, um, my wife's friend's mother as Ma. Who she, she was taking out the shoe to show somebody, like a guest. Uh, one of Marion's friends got hit by a car. Then another time she took out the shoe, um, someone else got into a car accident. Another time the shoe got taken out, there was a horrible storm and, like, a tree crushed something. This is worse than the idol on the extended Brady Bunch episode where they go <laughs> into Hawaii. Yeah, kind of. Remember the idol? <laughs> Have you checked out this shoe yourself? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. And well, I was, What impression did you get? Uh, I thought it was... I don't know. I, I thought it was, it was weird. Like, I think it might have been... Um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what to think of it. I read. I think I read somewhere that there was like this. This. This like old wives' tale that if you just like you would put like um, something significant to your family in the wall, and like um, like it would like provide protection for your house or something. But like don't ever touch it. But so I, I was like, why? A, why a shoe? It was like like a kid's shoe. So <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting subject. Uh, we did a show on haunted things, quote unquote, with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and John Zaffis uh, about two years ago. Those the hunted collector people. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I wrote the forward for their book. No kidding. And, uh, but anyway, with well, the, I bring it up because my my wife went over to their their house last night because uh, he's he's going his my wife's friend is going back to Rome because he's going there for school. So she she went over to their their house last night for like a goodbye like a going away party and he Ma took out the shoe oh, and no. so I was like oh I was like it's like Final Destination like <laughs> I mean she ought to know better by this time but I'd like to look into that I was like she just likes messing with the like the strings of fate you know like, be worried when they pour champagne into it and start you know oh throwing parties God. and everybody drink that then you drink know you're in trouble shoe. drink from the shoe for good ha- luck haunted thing. Oh, yeah. Can I jump in? I, I want sure to think you might be significant, you know, the mortality rate of children back then. You know, maybe the shoe was significant, excuse me, significant from a lost child. Well, possibly. Hmm. I think this is a subject for another show, but it's uh, nevertheless very interesting. 
Okay, let's let's uh, try to move on to one more question here. Uh, Shane, if you do the honors there. All right, so Ned from Kent, England. Terrorized by a spirit, a Kent woman is pleading for a oh, new home. Oh, this is more of a report. Okay. So, go, yeah, go ahead. Want me to read this report? Yeah, okay. yeah. This is a good report here. Yeah. Elizabeth Beanie has brought in two vicars to bless her home after a rash of strange occurrences, including being thrown from her bed. The attacks have been violent enough to cause obvious bruising. The events have the 39-year-old Beanie too scared to even re-enter the, her home and, at, and has asked the Ashford Borough Council to rehouse her and her family. Miss Beanie explained, It felt like I was grabbed one night, and I screamed out for help. I was lifted off the bed twice and thrown down, which left bruises on my arm. Marianne Elizabeth, Be- uh, Marianne Elizabeth, Elizabeth Beanie's 23-year-old daughter likened, likened the bruise <coughs> to whip marks, and unlike anything a man or woman could do. Elizabeth is not alone in experiencing strange things in the home. Marianne commented that, I stayed over one evening and saw a black shadow cross the room. If she's crazy, then I'm too. I am too because I did see something. One day, I knocked on her door, and something should. Excuse me. And something shouted at me in my mum's voice. When I called my mum, she said she wasn't at home. Elizabeth is asked the council to find new accommodations for her and her two younger children, as she is so scared of whatever is in the home that she has taken to sleeping on her oldest daughter's bedroom floor. It started weeks ago, and we've been everywhere, but the council isn't willing to rehouse me, says Elizabeth. No one's been, sorry, excuse me, no one's been taking me seriously. Her daughter added, we have tried everything to get her moved, but no one wants to entertain the issue. The last few months, that place has been so dark and haunted. A spokesman for Ashford Borough Council has told the Kent Online that they are reviewing Beanie's case and deciding on what support to offer. While the council is deciding what to do, Beanie has taken action and brought in two vicars to bless the property. There's no word on if the blessing has improved or worsened the situation. Okay, before, before I just want to explain a few Britishisms here that some of our audience... Yeah, I was going to ask you what council is that sounded yeah. like housing assistance or something. It is, yeah. Uh, in, in Council housing in in the UK would be public housing. Okay. We call here, and the council is the, lo- the local borough, co- the local municipal council that, uh, like the housing authority, as we would say in New England. Okay, uh, vicars uh, that that's another word for pastors or a priest of the Church of England. Okay, uh, so that's that's what that is. In case people didn't know, but uh, th- this seems to me to be a, a textbook kind of case. Uh, particularly things we run into with parasites, uh, imitating people's voices, uh, or it could be multiversal. You, know, you, you hear uh, a loved one speaking and they're not even there, or they're in some, uh, some room where you wouldn't hear them, that sort of thing. So uh, an interesting case, but rather typical. And we're not working this case, it's just a listener sent it in. For so our, maybe uh, a valid question would be, how would you all start with helping these people if you were, in fact... A short distance away from where they lived, where would you start and how would you approach that case? I mean, that's a really good question for all three of you, right? Because you're all experienced in doing this. And we we would do it the same way. Shane, you go right ahead because we do it the same way you do. All right. Yeah, the first thing I would do is to talk to the the woman, the one that's being attacked, figure out when this started happening. I mean, has she lived in this home longer than she's been being attacked? My guess is probably um, what triggered that. So there's always a root cause, something that, that... brought her into a vulnerable state of being, emotional state of being, that made her a target to these parasitic entities. Something happened that that triggered her or changed her emotionally 
um, and and made her become a target. So you're talking about past trauma, that kind of stuff. It could be past trauma that that's kind of popped back up in her head, or it could be a, a situation that she's currently dealing with, something that changed her emotionally. Um, usually, a lowered emotional state of being, um, lowered frequency, basically puts us in tune with these these parasitic entities. And so drug use could do that. Domestic violence, the kind of negative impact, negative energy behaviors that some people have to face in their life. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. It, it, Especially if it's going to bring an, an internal struggle with that person, um, so it, it's it's somebody that's in a vulnerable emotional state, and that's usually what brings it on. Um, not always the case. Sometimes it's somebody just paying attention to it, such as the case of people that play around with the Ouija board that give an attention to the parasite, so therefore they're given energy. The parasite will come and play, but usually it's somebody that's in a vulnerable state. I'm, I'm guessing I'd like to interview this lady to figure out when it started, what changed in her life around that time. Um, I'm guessing that there there definitely was something that triggered this and brought this entity towards them. So to counsel her through, um, just to change her thinking, to change her frequency, to break the connection, get her in a more positive state of uh, being and, um, and and help her along through, if she does have a personal struggle, to help her along with that and give her tools to do so. Yeah. If it were, now this is like doing forensic psychology where, you know, we're not there, it's difficult, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's secondhand information. But if it were not for the personal nature of some of these phenomena, uh, I would say it, it might be possible if they were more impersonal, you know, sort of things just moving around or just happening, and then, and then sort of not continuing and, and not not being focused. It, it's possible that she's just living at an intersect point. There's an overwash of, of worlds with different laws of physics, things of this kind. Could, but this sounds—I would agree with Shane on this. I don't know, Ben. You have any thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'd probably do the same thing. Um, also, I can't recall—is this? It's it's public housing, right? Uh, council housing is public housing. Right? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, I guess you know, talk to the neighbors is 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 prob- yeah, probably yeah, it's, it's probably probably a good choice. Isolated. Yeah, that's never you know, see see if there's anything else going on in the building yeah. besides you know what's going on with her. Uh, council housing outside of London, and that's that's where Kent is, uh, is can be kind of negative place. Uh, as some of the public housing here, you have a lot of people in the state of. Um, even despair, there is drug use. Uh, there are a lot of good people there, but I mean, there, there's a lot of negativity around them, and so it's not too surprising. And we very often get calls about things going on in places like that. But it's also important to sorry. It's also important to note that um, if if we're in a in a building or a home or an apartment or whatever, and the environment is able to host, like say, like we say, the paranormal flap areas have rivers and streams, or if there's things like that that's able to um, uh, in help the the whole process and to host uh, an active environment paranormally or supernaturally, um, then we are almost always the ones that dictate what comes through into our environment by the type of envir- environment that we maintain inside our home. So if we're a negative or a, or a dysfunctional environment, then we're going to get something more nasty. If we're more positive, we might have things happen in our house, but it's not going to be a nasty parasitic okay. entity. It's just going to be, you know, some some activity. So th- does that include... Quickly, we're just about out of time. So does that include clutter real quick? Like clutter in the house? Like people who <laughs> like hoarders? No. Dead serious, because like the whole feng shui, energy flowing, yes. right? Yes. Yep. You're right. I would see that. I used to go out in cases and houses where it was cluttered and it just felt worse. I'd like to find out if there were any old shoes in this house. Dysfunction is a, is a big part of that, and that, that could fall But what that. about like, a, I'll just go back to this real quick because we have to go, but what about a joke book for these people? Like, that's my favorite thing that you guys have ever talked yeah. about is well, how well, do you bring the energy up in that place? That's now being written up in books, and it's out of context. 
Um, that's not a, a normal procedure I would use, but that's for another time. Anyway, joke books and uh, shoes aside, uh, let's go on uh, to our announcements, Ben, if you would uh, be so kind. Yes. So on August 4th, uh, which was yesterday, uh, we were at, back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You'd Never Heard Of, based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. Uh, it was a great audience, and I would like to thank uh, Aurelio uh, uh, Maraca and the whole staff at the library for a great afternoon. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Despite Labor the storms. <laughs> yeah, well, it was quite, quite the adventure. On Labor Day weekend, uh, September 1st and 2nd, we'll return to the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire along with us. Speakers will include Richard Dolan, Kathleen Marden, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, filmmaker Jennifer Stein, Shane Searway, and me, Chuck and, Yeah, that's right, Chuck Credo. The, 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 the gang's all here. It's going to be quite the, quite the show. It's a great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Cl- uh, Club Children's Charities in southern New Hampshire, very much supported by Seacoast Saucers uh, and Granite Sky. And last year it raised over $9,000. Find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org. And then on Columbus Day weekend, uh, that's uh, October 5th and 6th, We'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Our uh, tentative topic is aliens with or without UFOs. All three of our panelists from our uh, 10th anniversary show will be there, including two of them here. Uh, and uh, that's on, uh, you can find out more about that at newenglandufo.com. And it's back to Danbury, Connecticut Library once again on Saturday, October 13th for the third annual Western Connecticut UFO Conference. Watch BehindTheParanormal.com for more information. I believe, Shane, you'll be there? Yes. As well? Yep. Chuck, you're invited? I'm invited. I didn't even really know about this until you mentioned it today. See, uh, you learn things on this show. uh, So... uh, Anyway, uh, my next book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher. Uh, not sure how soon it will be released, or even, if the, even if that title will stay intact, but we'll keep you posted. So, gentlemen, uh, Steve, you, you're yes. still with us. Um, do you want to just say goodbye to our guests and tell us uh, where they can find out more about you, if, uh, if they dare, or what you're working uh, on? Well, yeah, uh, like I said, um, I'm, I've got this project called the Roland Thompson Project. Um, everybody keeps telling me I should write a book, but I'm not a writer, so I'm just going to do it in video. That never stopped anybody. <laughs> okay. All right, so good. Okay, we'll keep us posted on the the, the project, the Roland Thompson Project. Okay, Chuck. Uh, your website and uh, yeah, my website. Website is seacosaucers dot com, and you can find out more about the Galileo interviews, where we interview all sorts of people that question reality, one interview at a time. Just go to Facebook and type in the Galileo interviews to find out more. I keep saying this; people are sick of hearing it, but I'll keep saying it because it's it's true. <laughs> you are the best interviewer next to George Knapp oh, I've geez. ever worked with. Well, thank and so you. So the Galileo much. interviews, give it a listen. It's absolutely you're amazing. too humble. We you're set the par. We set the bar pretty high for you. Oh, boy. Right. Okay, Shane? <laughs> yeah, uh, com, T-R-U-E-G-H-O-S-T.com. Uh, my contact information is there. Uh, but if you want to hear other interviews by me, you can look just look me up on YouTube, and there's a bunch of them up there. Okay. Uh, ben, do you have anything to say? Uh, we ought to point out our website, certainly. And what if I said no? Well, I, then <laughs> I'd say yes. Uh, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can find, among other things, a lot of information about us, our co-hosts here, and also uh, over almost 800 hours, if you have wow. the time, of shows from our four and a half years on CBS Radio and our 10 years on the air in general, now in our 11th year. Um, all sorts of subjects, just go for it. They're arranged by year and by number. So Is that free? That. It's all free. All free. free. Yep, yep. Can't beat that. Yeah, that's right. You can't. You can't beat the price. So check exactly. that out. 
Uh, also, um, our, of course, uh, our books are available. Uh, cause go to Barnes & Noble. You can get uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. And uh, check it out there. Well, we don't, what do we got going on next week? Well, next week we have... What do we have next week? We've got Kathy Marden is back. She's great. Uh, she's awesome. She's absolutely amazing, and we'll be talking about experiencers and what's going on with them. Indeed. So I guess we're just about done. We uh, are, we are out of time. So I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. Next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.